I'm going to go to a very scary scripture in the Bible. It's a very scary scripture. It's uncomfortable for us. And it's found, you know, sometimes we think of those uncomfortable scriptures as found like in the Old Testament. We'll see all these different pictures, you know. But this one's found in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name? We cast demons out in your name. We did mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Is there anybody here who would like to avoid that? <laughs> like, I'd like to avoid that end, right? Where you stand before Jesus at the end and he's like, who are you? Like, but God, I did a lot of stuff for you. I did all these things, but... But who, who are you, you know? And that's what the scripture is talking about here. Now, how do we avoid that? Well, we avoid that through something called relationship. How do we have relationship with God? Well, one of the main ways we have relationship with God is through something called prayer. And I know that some of you guys right now who maybe have been following Jesus for any length of time, you're thinking, okay, prayer, okay. Like this is a, yes, this is a 101. And I believe that many of us, have skipped over sometimes some of these basic 101 things that according to scriptures like this turn out to be the main things. They turn out to be things that are extremely important. And so what, what it say, I just imagine you guys who are parents right now that you, you raise a kid, you, you have a baby, you raise them all the way up, you do everything that you're supposed to do, you check every box, you give them, uh, you know, all the opportunities you can, you, you, uh, you know, get them into the right school, you get them the right education, you feed them the right healthy food mostly that you can, and you do everything that you can to do all of the things. You set them up, you, you teach them how to deal with their finances, you do all this stuff. And then you get to where they're 20 years old and they're 18 years old, going out of the house, 28 years old, whoever you are, I don't know what your situation is. Uh, but you get to where they're finally leaving the house and you realize I did all the stuff, but then I don't have a relationship with my child. Now, that sounds like a far-fetched scenario, but yet as a youth pastor and a pastor, I've seen that time and time again that that is a sad reality that many parents have done everything that they need to do. They send them off to the right college, and at that point, they realize, I don't even have a relationship with my kid. That's what is being talked about here in the scripture. Jesus is saying, you could go through and do everything, check every box with me, and do all the right things, but if at the end, you don't have a relationship, how sad is that? What a sad end that would be. And so we want to avoid that. So what prayer is saying is prayer is putting the relationship with God above the task. Let me say that again. Prayer puts the relationship with God before the task. Now, I know we want to put the task out there because it makes us feel good when we are doing stuff for God. But prayer says, above all, I'm going to put my relationship with God before any task. So prayer is all throughout the Bible. I mean, I could go through a million examples of prayer in the Bible. But even if you just look at the birth of the early church, they started out in the upper room in a room full of prayer. And that room full of prayer is spilled out into the pages of scriptures and the pages of the book of Acts. You can go through the next 10 or so chapters and you'll see prayer meetings and you'll see prayer mentioned 
over and over and over again. So they started off with prayer. They would pray before they sent out disciples. They would pray uh, and just have random prayer meetings. Peter was praying on a roof that led to a vision that opened the door to the Gentiles, those of us who are not Jews, to be able to be in this thing. How many of you guys are thankful for that? That was born out of a prayer meeting. So this prayer is all throughout scripture. What I'm saying is prayer was not an add-on. It was essential. Prayer was not optional. It was mandatory if they were going to accomplish the task that God had for them. See, some of us, we start get so busy with the task and we think that the relationship is, is extra or add-on or optional. And, and so this is who we are, who we're supposed to be as a church and as people. And so they would have times of prayer in Scripture. P Peter and John, what, in Acts chapter 3, I believe, they were walking up to a prayer meeting at the hour of prayer. And they had designated times of prayer. And we, by the way, we have designated times of prayer here around at Journey Church. We've got one coming up on a Tuesday night. I believe it's on the 30th of this month. If you all want to come out, it'd be awesome. And we have every, almost every day we're praying online. You can join us at noon on our Facebook page and all that. So we have dedicated times of prayer. But I want you to know this, that these dedicated times of prayer, which are necessary, the purpose is we go to the house of prayer, but then the purpose is to turn us into houses of prayer. So that when we walk away from a house of prayer moment, we become a house of prayer. So that everywhere we go, we're houses of prayer. What I find fascinating about all of this is it makes sense for the disciples to be people of prayer, houses of prayer, times of prayer. But what I find fascinating is that Jesus modeled this. That Jesus was a person of prayer, that he knew this. Luke chapter five, verse 15. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So Jesus is on the scene. He's doing miracles. Things are happening. People are coming up to him. What does he do? But he would withdraw to desolate places of prayer. And desolate places and pray. He would withdraw. The pattern of Jesus is something that we need to understand if we want to be effective. And I believe the heart of many people here is I want to do some amazing things for God. I want to serve Jesus. If you want to be effective serving Jesus, then we have to have the pattern of Jesus. And this is the pattern of Jesus. He would inhale prayer. Inhale connection with the Father. And then he would exhale ministry. He had this rhythm of inhaling relationship and exhaling ministry. And if you get that wrong, if you're just constantly exhaling ministry, how many of you guys know you aren't going to last very long? And if all you do on the flip side is just sit and just try to, you know, be in church all the time and have a relationship with God all the time and you never have an outlet to, to minister to other people, that's not going to work either. But this is the pattern of Jesus. Another place in scripture, it says that Jesus often withdrew to places of prayer. So he would breathe in prayer, he would exhale ministry. The greatest person who ever lived, the perfect sinless life of Jesus was a person of prayer. Even as he started his ministry, he started off with this like month of prayer and fasting before he even started ministry. When he lost a friend, he withdrew to times of prayer. Before he chose the disciples, he would pray. Even as he was going before the cross in the garden, remember he went and he took time to pray. What I find even more amazing is that even on the cross, Jesus prayed. He began to pray to the Father. 
So if the uncreated creator, the begotten one, who is one who thought he needed to live this life of prayer, how many goes, no, how much more should we live a life of prayer, right? So th this is what we're talking about. But sometimes we don't pray. Uh, let me just ask this way. How many of you guys will just admit that sometimes you struggle with your prayer life? Come on, my hand is up, okay? So I just want to make sure I'm talking to the right crowd. Sometimes I struggle with my prayer life. And sometimes... Some of us struggle with our prayer life and praying because we've had unanswered prayers in our life. Let's just be honest. We, we may alter our prayers a little bit because of unanswered prayers in the past. And so I wanna give you some reasons. I've shared this before, but I think it's helpful. Some reasons why we may have unanswered prayers and why just because we have some unanswered prayers, it doesn't mean that we should stop praying. So let me just give you some reasons why we may not hear answers to our prayers. It's maybe that we're not even, they're unanswered, but we're just not hearing the answers. One may be because we're just out of fellowship with God. So we pray prayers, but because there's a disconnect on our end with God, we're not hearing. We're not hearing the answers. And that could be because of unconfessed sin in our life. That, that could be because some things that we've allowed to come between us and God. Jesus already took care of it, but we've allowed it to come between us and God, so we can't hear him anymore. Maybe there's uh, some unforgiveness. Oh, man, this is big. Maybe there's some unforgiveness in our life, and we can't hear clearly what God is saying in our life. Have you ever felt like you're in a pattern where you just can't seem to get any traction? My, my hunch is there's some unforgiveness. Because the Bible says if you got something against your brother, if you find out your brother has something against you, Go figure that out and then come back and pray. Why? Because it's going to affect what you hear. Maybe it's because um, we're in disobedience and we're like asking God for things and God's like, I, I already told you something to do and you're asking for something else to do. See, I, I've discovered this, that many times God may not answer our next thing until we've done the last thing, right? And so maybe we're, we're going to God in prayer. We feel like we're hitting a ceiling and it's because we're ignoring what God has already asked us to do. So maybe we're just out of fellowship or maybe we're out of line. You know, James chapter four, verse three says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. It's like you're missing. You ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. How many of you guys have ever asked amiss before? You just be honest. How, let me ask you this way. How many of you guys have ever prayed stupid prayers before? Anybody ever prayed a stupid prayer? And you know it was stupid, but you just prayed it anyway. Like, I mean, I've done this all the time. I remember being a teenager. I would, uh, I would play basketball and I'd be out there by myself playing basketball and I'd have something that was really on my heart and I wanted God to do. And I, I was like, I just wanted to know the answer. And so I said, I'd say something like this. Okay, God, I just don't, I want to know your will. So if it's your will, let me make the very next basket that I shoot. Have you guys have ever done that before? Come on, just own it. And so I'd be like, okay, God, if it's your will, I'm gonna make the very next. And so I'd shoot it, boing, it would bounce off. Two out of three, God, two out of three, let's go. Come on, two out of three. And I knew it was a stupid prayer, but I know that, and, and sometimes God will answer those even, I mean, to our surprise. But what I'm saying is don't be surprised or don't be disappointed. Don't stop praying if God doesn't answer your stupid prayers. Just keep going. You know, sometimes we ask selfish prayers. Has anybody asked a selfish prayer? And you knew it was a selfish prayer, but you're throwing it up anyway. You know, like, okay, I know this is a selfish prayer, but I'm going to go ahead and pray this. And, and we can do that very, very easily and often. And then if we're honest, sometimes we're mad at God when he doesn't answer our selfish prayers. 
and, and we, get, we get mad at God. So I prayed some weird prayers before. I remember, and I've shared this before, but I remember we were in uh, getting ready to cross the border of, of Texas and Mexico, and we would take things in to Mexico. When I was a teenager, we would smuggle things in that they didn't want us to have in, clothes, food. Uh, we smuggled a whole, all the material for a church building uh, and into to the to Mexico. And so we had this huge bus. We took out the floor of it. We put all the lumber underneath the floor, put the floor back, put 70 people on the bus, started to cross over the border. And as we were getting ready to go through there, I remember us praying this prayer. And we prayed this prayer like, okay, because the custom agents are getting ready to come on and they're going to search and all this stuff. And so we were praying this prayer, Lord, blind the eyes of the customs agents as they come in. Blind the eyes. We were literally praying. I, I understood what we were doing, but I thought about that later. I was like, we are praying for their eyes to be blinded. How can this be right, you know? And so somehow we got through. I don't know. So maybe they were temporarily blinded. Again, I don't know. But, some, you know, sometimes God answers that prayer. Sometimes we just keep moving on. Uh, selfish prayers, stupid prayers. How about contradictory prayers? we got March Madness going on right now. Some of you guys are praying for your team to win. How many of you guys just own it, right? And so I've wondered, like, how, how many people does it take to get on your side to win? All I can tell you is this. We didn't have enough against Tampa Bay. That's all I'm saying. They must have had a lot more prayers over there in Tampa Bay than what we had this year. I don't know how it all works, okay? But, and I'm not saying to not pray for those things. I'm just saying that if you prayed a prayer for the Chiefs to win and it didn't happen, don't stop praying, okay? Because that may have just been a contradictory prayer. They may have had, I don't know how many, if they had one more than us, I don't know. I don't know how it all works, but... There's different. How about prayers that will destroy millions of lives? I've prayed prayers like that before. And uh, I'll give you one example. Uh, again, let me take you back to Mexico. Uh, every year we would have something called this big feed. And we'd bring in all of these huge metal grates of stuff. We'd bring in all this food, this chicken and all sorts of things uh, to cook uh, right there in these very impoverished areas for people who didn't have anything. And so we would bring it in and we would feed the whole, I mean, hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of people we were planning on feeding and it would happen every year. It was called the big feed. So we got in there, we got all set up. People know about this. They're hungry. And all of a sudden we saw these, the storm coming in. And so we all gathered up around the back of the bus. And I remember holding hands with, with all the people and, and we're standing around in a circle and we start to, you know, pray that it won't rain that it won't ruin the day because we know there are people that are there hungry. And so we prayed. How many of you guys have ever prayed against weather before? And I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do it. But I thought about this later. I thought, you know, there's missionaries in Mexico where we were at every single day of the year. What if every single day of the year somebody prayed for it not to rain and it didn't rain and then there were no crops and everybody died? That might be a problem, you know? And so... I thought, you know, it's not that we shouldn't stop, that we should stop praying for these things because we should pray for some things like that. But what I'm saying is don't be disappointed if God doesn't seem to answer every single one of your prayers the way you think that they ought to be answered. Why? Because a lot of times God's, well, all times God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Sometimes we even pray prayers that are praying against God's will. 
I mean, imagine praying a prayer that's against God's agenda. You know, sometimes we pray prayers that like, God, will you just make this person do this? Will you just make them do this? And yet God has given us a free will. Now certainly God can soften a heart, God can bring people into their lives, God can do, and God could do anything. But there's some things that God has set up certain ways. And so we, we wanna be careful about that. But God's ways are higher than our ways. Isaiah chapter 55, verse eight and nine says it, Plainly, it says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. What I'm saying is this, that God knows what's best. Sometimes we may be praying for second best. God knows what's best, and sometimes we're praying for second best, and we don't even realize it and we're disappointed and we're praying against God's agenda for our life. So sometimes we get frustrated and we don't pray because we're, we've had an answered prayer. Sometimes we're frustrated and we don't pray because we just don't know how to pray and we don't know what to pray and we don't know what to say. And that reminded me of this clip that some of you guys might be familiar with. You just feel the tension there, right? It's like, so sometimes we just don't know how to pray. And so I, this is such a huge topic that I could go a million different ways with this, but I'm, I'm just gonna do the best I can to give you three different ways to be able to pray. And this is not exhaustive, obviously, but it's a start for somebody. So if you're struggling to pray, let me just give you some three different things about prayer. And the first thing I would say about prayer, if you're struggling this area, a good starting point is to pray God's word. Pray God's word. Now, I heard this preached a long time ago on this certain scripture in Psalms chapter 62, verse 11. It's a very interesting scripture. And it's David writing, and David says this. It says, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Think about it. That's a little bit weird, right? Once God has spoken, twice I have heard. And the way I heard it preached, and I, I believe it makes sense, is that God spoke it once, but he heard it twice. How did he hear it twice? Because God spoke it, and then he spoke what God said. See, there's power when we, sp when we speak and when we say what God has said. And so when we're praying God's word, we've heard it once from God, but we've heard it twice because we heard ourselves say it. And some of us may even need to you know, add praying out loud, praying scripture out loud. There's power even in a simple act like that. Because when you pray the word of God, you pray the will of God. If you're wondering how to pray the will of God for your life, then pray the word of God. Because when you pray the word of God, you pray the will of God. Now, let me caution this for just a second before you go crazy with that, because you can't just take any scripture in the Bible and start praying it as the will of God. Because how many of you guys know, you can get into some crazy stuff, right? Like Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse one, like if I just wanted to pray, oh, this must be God's will, that it's vanity of vanities, says the preacher. I guess that's me. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. This just must be the will of God for my life. Just everything is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil which he toils under the sun? And I could just go on and on and on. And you say, but Pastor Sean, that's scripture. Isn't that the will of God? Well, you have to understand the context of scripture that the book of Ecclesiastes is written by a preacher who's backslidden. 
And it's his perspective on life that's giving us a clue. And so you have to read scripture. You have to even learn how to read scripture right. You have to learn that you, you, you've got to start figuring out the context of scripture. What I'm saying is if you want to pray scripture, you're going to have to start studying scripture. And so if you want to pray scripture, you're going to get better at reading scripture. And if you get better at reading scripture, you're going to get better at praying scripture. How do you guys know? I could take a, a scripture maybe over in Ephesians chapter one, and I could certainly pray this. I could say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I could pray that prayer. Man, God, you are blessed. Blessed are you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have blessed me. I could personalize it. You have blessed me in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as you chose me before the foundation of the world, that I should be holy and blameless before you in love. Come on, have you guys know that's a powerful prayer right there, right? I mean, I can pray that prayer. And so if you get better at reading scripture, you're gonna get better at praying scripture. And if you, you wanna pray scripture, it's gonna drive you to have a hunger for scripture. It's a great marriage between word and prayer. And so you can do that. So praying God's word makes you more effective. And, and, and one thing you gotta keep in mind, if you wanna pray through scripture, and especially the Old Testament, you pray the Old Testament through the lens of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So if you go to the book of Job, you might get a little confused if you don't put Jesus in Job. And so we pray through the lens of Jesus Christ. So pray the word of God. Second thing is this, is pray, so pray God's word and pray God's way. We're gonna to go to the most famous passage in the whole Bible, I believe, on the topic of prayer. Why? Because Jesus told us how to pray in this passage. Most of you are familiar with this. In Matthew chapter six, verse nine, it says, pray like this. Jesus is telling the disciples how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. I'm not going to walk through that whole prayer as you could pray it. Pastor Aaron's done a better job than I could do in other sermons where he takes you through that pattern of prayer. But what I do want to do is I want to point out something that's right there in that prayer that is so simplistic that maybe we've missed it. And what I want you to see is in this prayer, Jesus is communicating to us something key about what prayer is that prayer is partnering with God. Prayer is partnering with God. If you look at this prayer, what is it? It's a partnership with God. And you can see all these examples, you know, forgive us our debts, you know, uh, give us our daily bread, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. How many of you guys know that God could just do all of those things, couldn't he? God could just provide you your daily bread. But what, he chooses it to be this way that we would partner with God so that, let me tell you, there are some things that will not happen unless we pray them into existence. If there's anything that ought to motivate your prayer life, maybe it's that, that there are some things that will only happen when we pray them into existence. God chooses to work with us that way. There are some things that only can happen that way. So the big question is this, what prayers in your life have gone unanswered because they've gone unprayed? Those of us who've taken a step back in our life from our prayer life, what prayers in your life have gone unanswered because they've simply gone unprayed? Pray God's way. It's a partnership with God. Number three, pray God's when. 
Now, Daniel in scripture had a win. I mean, when he prayed, he prayed what? Three times a day. Even though he got in trouble for it, he prayed morning, noon, and evening. He prayed three times a day. David in scripture had some wins when he prayed. He said, early in the morning. How many early risers do we have in the house today? All right, several of you guys are early risers. How many of you guys hate those people? And let's see the rest of you. Okay. Yeah, well, there's scriptures in there for you too. There's talking about in the evening times, in the evening watches of the night. So David had some wins when he prayed. You should have some wins. You should have some times when you pray, but that's not the type of win I'm talking about. The type of win I'm talking about, uh, most of our wins are when we need something from God. So when we pray a win, we pray when we need something from God. But how many of you guys know that prayer is not just supposed to be a response or a reaction to our problems, it's supposed to precede our plans. And yet most of our prayers are when we need something from God. It's a response to a crisis. And yes, we do need to pray these things. We do need to pray for our daily bread. If you're going through something in life, you do need to pray. You do need to pray when you have a crisis. But we miss the most important win. And to, to see what that is, we have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Remember, in the garden, everything was perfect. Then sin came, and now Adam and Eve are hiding from God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is indicating here that there was a time, there was a when, when God would come and walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. And they would hang out together. They would be with one another. They would fellowship. Adam and Eve would essentially pray. The question is, before this moment, what did they talk about? Because before in the garden, before sin, there was no sin. There was, no, there was nothing to confess. There was no sickness. There was no prayer for healing. There was no lack. There was no prayer for need. In fact, most of the Lord's prayer didn't need to happen in the garden. So what did they talk about? What did they talk about if there was no lack, no sickness, no confession of sins? Let me ask it a different way. What would your prayer life be if there was nothing bad to say? If there was nothing urgent that you needed, what would your prayer life be like with God? Corrie Boom says, is, uh, asks this question, is, our prayer, is prayer our steering wheel or a spare tire? <laughs> that, that was kind of powerful thought. And, and so we have to ask the question, when do we pray? And there's a win that's more powerful than a crisis. There's a win that's more powerful than a need. There's a win that's more powerful than a problem. The win is simply being with God. How many of you guys have ever heard of this book? I think it's called The Power of Habit. Anybody ever heard of that book? It's, okay, some of you guys are familiar with that, The Power of Habit. Kind of a, I guess it's a leadership type book, but in this book, this guy talks about keystone habits, and some of you guys will be familiar with this. A keystone habit is basically a single habit that has a power to kind of domino effect other things in your life almost automatically. 
So if you put one habit in place, it will start to affect other things. So in exercise, exercise is one of those studies on exercise. They, they found out that people who habitually exercise, it started to affect other areas of their life. They put one habit in their life and almost unknowingly, these other things started to happen. They began to uh, eat better. They began to be more productive at work. They began to smoke less. They had more patience with others. They used credit cards less because they felt less stressed. One habit domino affected other places in their life. So they started doing studies on these. And families who sit down regularly to eat together, that one habit that family put in place, the studies showed what happened with their kids, that their children had better homework skills, they ended up having higher grades, they began to have greater emotional control, and they, they actually exuded more confidence than other kids. One habit, Domino affected everything else. Weight loss. Anybody ever try to lose weight? Beginning of the year. And then you fall off the wagon pretty quick, right? So they, they started, they did one study. They did a study of 1,600 obese people. And they began to concentrate certain amount of those people on just writing down what you eat. Like everybody was doing all sorts of things trying to lose weight. But they had one group of people who just wrote down what they eat. And it was hard at, at least one day a week. And so they, it was hard but they continued to do it and became a habit in their life. Six months later, the unexpected happened. The people who did a daily record of what they eat, what they ate, they lost twice as much as people who didn't. Some of you guys are like getting out a notebook right now, right? Okay, eating, right? But that's, that's what they did. So the, the example is one habit affected every other thing. It was a keystone habit. Why do I say that? Because I believe that prayer is a keystone habit. It's one of those unexpected things in our life that we don't realize that if we can put this one habit in our life, it will start to affect every other area of our life. It will start to, even unknowingly, it will start to affect every other area of our life. In this book, he also talked about these habits and how we have a cue a routine that cues a routine that then gives us a reward. So whenever we have habits in our life, there's something that triggers that, that gets us to start that, and then it gives us a reward. So let me give you an example. Um, if I'm hungry and I drive past the hot sign, how many of you guys know? That's a cue for me. Some of you guys, how many of you guys know what that means? I'm just making sure. Okay, some of you guys, okay. Uh, it, it, Krispy Kreme, right? So if I see the hot sign on Krispy Kreme, that's a cue to do what? Tells me to go inside. I get to eat donuts, okay? How, I'm not going to tell you how many. I eat some donuts. Then, so that's my routine, and then that cues the, my reward, which is heaven on earth, praise Jesus, and about 45 pounds, right? So that's the cue that triggers me to do something, and then I get the reward. So the question is, if prayer is the habit, what's the cue in our life that gets us to pray? Most, if we're honest, most of us, the cue that triggers our habit of prayer is a problem. Whenever I have a problem, that's my cue that triggers my habit to pray that leads to the reward of hearing from God, being with God, connecting with God. But if prayer isn't just a response to problems, if prayer is to precede plans, maybe we're listening to the wrong cues. 
And I'm just gonna suggest a cue that you need to have in your life that ought to trigger your prayer life. If you want to put this in your life as a habit and get the right win or get some extra wins in your life, here's a cue that you ought to have. I'm too busy. I'm too busy needs to become the cue in your life that triggers then I need to pray. Because most of us, we say, I'm too busy to pray. But the cue in our life needs to be, I'm too busy, I've got to pray. And here's what I believe will happen. I believe whenever we put prayer as a keystone habit and we put our cue as I'm too busy to pray, here's what will happen. It will cause us to actually slow down and make time to hear God say something we didn't expect him to say. That God, as we slow down for, for a minute to take that cue, God may redirect what we're actually too busy in. God may cause us to hear something that causes us to cut aside a weight like we talked about last week that gives us more space to not be so busy. So if, if prayer is the habit and cue now becomes I'm too busy, what's the reward? I, I, I believe the reward of the I'm too busy cue that leads to the prayer, I believe the reward is less crisis cues. I believe the reward is less problem cues. I believe the reward is less times that we have to go because in the I'm too busy, we've solved problems along the way that we don't create for later. This is how prayer becomes a keystone habit in our life. We, we trigger the reward of not having as many crises in our life. It doesn't mean we're not going to have problems. It just means we probably aren't going to have as many crises as we have allowed to happen in our life because we've been too busy. So I'm going to have the worship team come back up, but as they do, I'm going to tell you a story. And this is a story about a lady named Susanna. And Susanna was, I believe, I have to fact check, I didn't have time to fact check this, but I believe she was the youngest of 25 children <laughs> a couple hundred years ago. Um, but she ended up having 19 kids of her own. She lost nine of them in infancy. So she was dealing with this extreme loss. And then she's raising 10 children. Her husband was a pastor but he wasn't a very good one. He ended up in prison a couple different times for like cheating out of money and all sorts of things. So her, her home burned down twice. She's in this little rural town and so her husband's in prison. She's got 10 kids. She's lost nine. Her home's burned down twice. And in the absence of there being a preacher at the, the church, she decided to have Sunday school there for her kids right there in the kitchen. And pretty soon, everybody started hearing about it, and they wanted to come too. And so pretty soon, the Sunday school moved to, to her barn, and she had 200 people coming to listen to Susanna go through sermons. And so in all of this, how many of you guys know she had quite a busy life? She had a lot going on. She homeschooled her kids, all 10 of them, six hours a day. And then with each one of her kids, once a week, each one of them got one hour each devoted specifically to them, to their individual connection with their mom. And then she's taking care of all this stuff on top. So you think you got a busy life, right? <laughs> she had it going on. But she, she began to pray, and her prayers literally changed 
I believe they changed the world. They literally changed the world. But since she didn't have any way to really pray effectively, what she did is she created her own prayer room. And what she did is she simply put her apron over her head when she wanted to pray. So you can just imagine, okay, 10 kids going around, all the, up, prayer room. And the kids knew not to bother her when the apron was over her head. And she regularly spent time with God, I assume mourning the loss of her kids, mourning the fr with the frustration of her husband and the tension, the, the, you know, the, the hardships of trying to homeschool all these 10 children. And, but she continued to pray. She continued to pray. And her, her, her prayers moved things because two of her children were people we know of now as John and Charles Wesley. And John and Charles Wesley went on, and John Wesley obviously started this Methodist revival, ultimately, where now there's like 80 million Methodists in over 130, 130 nations. And you can't tell me it wasn't due to a mother's prayer. That's pretty powerful, right? So no matter what you're going through, my challenge is just maybe we could find some right wins. We could find some God wins. So the question for us today is where's our apron? Where's our time? Where's our place? One last scripture, James chapter five, verse 16. It says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Then it goes on and talks about Elijah. How many of you guys have ever read this scripture and you're like, I don't know if my prayer is gonna have the prayer of Elijah. I mean, he prayed and the rain did stop, you know? And I'm not righteous. I mean, the Bible says no one's righteous. But how many of you guys know that we're not righteous outside of Jesus, but because of Jesus, we have been given the gift of his righteousness. So that if you're in Christ today, Every single person here could say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. So that when you read this scripture, you can read it this way. You can say, say that the prayer of a righteous person, and that's me. The, my prayer has great power when it works. My prayer has great power when I put it into practice. Why do we talk about all this? Why do we do all these things? So that when we get to the end, face to face with Jesus, he says, hey, I know you, I know you. And isn't that what we want at the end? Isn't that what we want? Not just like, oh, here's the, here comes the guy who just talked to me about his problems all his life. Here's the guy that I don't even know. No, I, I want to show up and he's like, hey, I know you. That's what prayer is all about. That's what a prayer life's about. So would you guys stand up with me and I pray that we just get a little bit more hungry for relationship with God. This is a 101, but we never get beyond it. So Lord, we just come before you and we thank you. Oh, that we get to be with you. That you're with us. Well, my prayer for this church is that we would start with some right cues some right winds. We'd have a hunger just to be with you, 
not for you to solve all of our problems, even though we can trust you with that. But Lord, let a hunger rise up in us just to be with you so that at the end, you'll say, I know you. Lord, that's our heart, that's our prayer. That's who we wanna be. So we thank you that you are faithful. If there's anybody here who feels a little discouraged, Lord, you, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you bring courage and comfort right now and a desire to draw closer to you once again in Jesus' name.